0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to CoastalOaksChurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 today, or your smartphone, whichever one is uh, with you today. Today we're going to look at the unprecedented news about the birth of the Messiah I love the story or I love the commercial there was a Lexus TV commercial it was out years ago and uh, a lady comes down the stairs and she sees in her living room a brand new Lexus SUV with this huge ribbon and a huge bow on top and she looks at her husband and she looks at the car and she turns around to him and she says where did you get a bow that big <laughs> and she missed the fact that it was attached to the car which was the gift Sometimes we go into Christmas that way. We, we really miss the essentials of Christmas. We celebrate. We have trees and gifts and presents and all that, that happens, but we miss the news that is unprecedented, never known before, never before proclaimed groundbreaking news of the birth of Jesus. Well, let's look at the story of the angel's appearance to Mary and then to Joseph. Chapter 1 in the book of Luke, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. You'd be troubled too, wouldn't you? Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary. We find that often in Scripture when there's an angel. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've never been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And to give Mary some encouragement that miracles still happen, look at verse 36. Consider your relative Elizabeth Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, I am the Lord's slave. Literally, that's what that word means. Some translations say bondservant, servant. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Well, let's begin this morning by looking at Mary's response to the news. This unprecedented, never before, unequaled, groundbreaking news that she is going to give birth to a son. We believe that Mary was a young teenager at this point, very common in that culture. No telling how young a teenager she was, but we believe a young teenager. Let's look at her response. First of all, the Bible says that she experienced the grace of God. Her first response is she experiences the grace of God. Look at verse 28. The angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. He goes on to say that, I that, uh, think of verse 30, what did I say? 30, verse 30 also Verse 30, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What I want to highlight there is the the Lord is coming to her saying, Mary, something is happening to you. Something is being done to you. You're just receiving this. Some have said Mary was, was immaculate and Mary's to be worshipped. She was just a young teenage girl who followed the Lord and loved the Lord. And the Lord favors her with his grace. Grace is experience. It is unmerited favor. We've defined grace that way in, in, our, in our doctrine of our, of our evangelical Christianity. Grace is unmerited favor. It's something that we don't deserve. And when God says to Mary, you are favored, you are blessed, you are a recipient of my grace. Nothing she had done to earn that. God, by his grace, decided that she would be the one. We love the the phrase in, in Ephesians chapter two, by grace you've been saved. It's through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not from work so that no one can boast. There's a couple other passages in the New Testament that speak of God's grace coming to us. I just want to highlight those. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. That could be said of Mary, right? Mary, God's grace is coming to you with salvation for all people. In John 1 verse 16, The Bible says we have received grace. I love this phrase, grace after grace, grace upon grace. As the people of God, we've known this, been recipients of God's grace. And Romans 3.24 says we are freely justified by his grace. Don't miss this. Mary is a recipient of the grace of God. She is just willing and open and receptive, and God moves in and does a work in her life. That's where we need to be just open to the grace of God. My prayer when I come to worship on Sunday morning is that we, as a people of God, would be open to his grace. That we, would, that we would not show up saying, God, here I am, I'm special, you ought to be, you ought to be glad I'm here. I'm, I'm, the, I'm your gift to this congregation. No, we should show up with this, this unbelievable understanding that God's grace has been given to us. And that's why we're here. Not because of any merit of our own. Mary just receives the grace of God. She is a favored one. The Lord has come to her. Secondly, and this is her response to that grace, she believes the word of God. Mary believed the word of God. God's word to her through the angel. And look at verse 34. Some would question why I would say she believed, but look look at the passage again. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? The and angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one born to you will be called the Son of God. Mary says, how can this be? It is not a, it's not a statement of unbelief. You know what it's a statement of? It's a statement of faith. Okay, God, you've said to me that as a virgin, I'm going to be giving birth to a son. I get it. How's that going to happen? Does that make sense? She's not saying, oh, that can't happen, God, that's impossible. She is saying, Lord, I I, I get this, but I don't get how it's going to take place. When she says, how can it be? She's just saying, God, this is a a statement of faith that I trust you. I trust your word. Study was done, goodness, it's about 40 years ago, and I can't imagine what the statistics are today. But in mainline denominations, people were asked, do you believe in the virgin birth? 60% of Methodists said no. 49% 49% of Presbyterians said no. 44% of Episcopalians said no. 34% of American Baptists said no. Those people in our churches, and I, I don't tell what those statistics are today. I, I don't even want to know. People in our pews, people who come to church, who read the Bible, who believe the Bible, were asked, do you believe in the virgin birth? And most of them say, not really. Not really. Folks, it is foundational to what we believe that God by his Holy Spirit overshadowed her. I love what Stephen J. Cole says. He says, to deny the the, the virgin birth requires that we deny the authority of the Bible and the truth of the Bible, the deity and sinless humanity of Jesus Christ, and that he is the Savior as taught in Scripture. To deny the virgin birth is to deny the word of God because the word of God is what teaches the virgin birth. People have done all kinds of hermeneutical gymnastics to try to say, well, that word virgin just means young. No, it doesn't. It means virgin. She was a virgin. She had not been with a man. She had not slept with a man. She was not able to be pregnant except by a miraculous work of Almighty God. Folks, it was a miracle. He goes on down in verse 36 and verse 37 uh, and and shares with us verse 37, nothing will be impossible to God. It was a miracle. People say, well, I don't know how that can happen. Well, that's, that's why God is God. I think it's a a miracle that a baby could be born. Think about that one for a minute. Think about the intricacies of the human body and all that has to happen for us to be given life. It's a miracle. God can overrule that for one one moment. God can say, I'm God, I created you, and now I'm going by the Holy Spirit overshadowing you. This virgin is going to conceive and have a son. I love that phrase, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Overshadow you, in verse 35. That word is the same word that was used in the Old Testament to describe the glory of God hovering over the tabernacle and hovering over the, the temple. You See the picture? That word is used for the glory of God hovering over the place where the people of God met. Warren Wiersbe says it this way Mary's womb became the, the Holy of Holies at that moment because the Spirit of God hovered over, like He hovered over the temple. God's presence. Mary got it. She knew that this is God's proclamation of His Word, and she believed it. She believed this miraculous story. I love it. Jesus was to be born fully human, born of a woman. Fully human so that he could experience what we experience. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. He experienced everything we experience, yet without sin. So he could understand our plight. Yet conceived by the Holy Spirit fully God so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Do you see why the virgin birth is so important? For Jesus to be not the 50-50 God, man, but to be the 100% human, 100% Christ deity so that he could represent us as sinful man, and so that he could be our substitute and pay the price as the perfect sacrifice for sin. She believed God's word. She knew that that was significant. Thirdly, she was used by the Spirit of God to accomplish the will of God. Used by the Spirit of God to accomplish the will of God. I want to go back to verse 31 again. Now Listen. As if she wasn't listening already, <laughs> right? Listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will of his kingdom there will be no end. You will call his name Jesus, verse 31. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. You're going to call this son, God saves. You're going to call this son, the Lord God Jehovah brings salvation to his people. That's going to be his name. That is God's purpose. That is God's will. And Mary becomes a part of that. And she willingly says to God by his Holy Spirit, I will submit to that to being used. In Matthew chapter 1 Verse 21, the Bible says, she will give birth to a son, you will call his name Jesus. And, and, and Matthew inserts these words, because he will save his people from their sins. Not just you're going to be, Mary, you're going to be the person who has gives birth to the, to the Savior, to the God-man, but that Savior will be the one who saves. That's in his name. He will save his people from their sins, used by the Spirit of God to accomplish the will of God. We don't ever want to miss connecting the dots. That God's will in sending Christ to this earth as a baby was so that he could grow as a sinless man and die on a cross in our place. It it wasn't planned this way, but we have the manger and the cross in the same scene back here. I think that's significant. That was his will. That's why he used Mary. Can you imagine? I can't. The emotional attachment to this child that she's going to have, knowing that his purpose is to save his people from their sins? One year we did our coastal Christmas program and several years in a row we would put the, we would have the birth, but we would end with the crucifixion. We'd have the trial and, and the scourging of Jesus, we'd end with the crucifixion, sometimes the resurrection. And a lady came to one of our worship, one of our Christmas programs having, having observed the whole story of the life of Christ to the crucifixion, this is what she said. She said, "You just ruined Christmas for me." Now all I'm going to think about when I think about Christmas is that crucifixion scene. Folks, that's what Christmas is. I mean, I don't want to mess up Christmas for you, but I want you to understand that's the reason he came. Look at all these names. In order to die for us, in order to be our savior, in order to reign on the throne, in order to establish his kingdom, he had to come, he had to live, and he had to die in our place. I love the story of Mary, humbly believing that God's in this, accepting it, responding by faith. And saying, God, you can use me any way you want. Now let's look at Joseph's response to the discovery that he makes. Back to the book of Matthew now, chapter 1. This is where Matthew records the story of the angel appearing to to Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly or privately. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. There we go. Don't be afraid again. Don't be afraid. To take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. So the virgin will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 7. That's a whole other sermon. (laughs) These prophetic fulfillments in the birth of Christ. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Joseph's response to the discovery. Joseph, a a poor carpenter. We know that Mary and Joseph were poor because when you read later after Jesus was born and they go to the temple for the dedication and the circumcision, they bring two turtle doves and two pigeons. That's what the poor people brought. People who had any kind of uh, financial means would bring another animal, a larger animal, for sacrifice, but the poorest of the poor, a couple of, a couple of pigeons and a couple of doves. That's all they could bring. That's who Joseph was, this poor carpenter. And we don't know how much older than Mary he was. Some speculate that he may have been much older. We don't know, but you have this couple that, that, that are engaged. And in the midst of their engagement, Joseph discovers that she is pregnant. First of all, because of the kind of man Joseph was, he was prepared to respond graciously. He was prepared to respond graciously. Verse 19, so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now that may sound harsh to you, but it was gracious. See, in the Jewish legal system, they had this period called betrothal or engagement, and it was a time when literally they're called husband and wife, and we read that in Scripture, Joseph husband, Mary wife, but they really had not come together as husband and wife. The betrothal period, the engagement period, maybe up to a year, was a time when they lived as husband and wife but did not live together. It was a time of waiting, a time really of, of testing the purity of the couple. And at the end of that, that betrothal, at the end of that engagement, then they came together and consummated the marriage. And be more like marriages like we know today. So during that time, they had not come together. And the Bible's clear on that. So Joseph thinks about this and he decides I'm not gonna, I'm gonna spare her the disgrace and the humiliation of this public trial. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna spare her the disgrace of this public divorce, and I'm gonna just his this is his thoughts there. He decides not to disgrace her, but to divorce her secretly, quietly, privately. We might might hear uh, in, our, in our culture an out-of-court settlement where it just gets taken care of where not a big deal is made about. You know why Joseph is saying that? Because in his mind, she's been unfaithful to him. To get that news in that context, Mary would be accused of, as being an adulteress because she hadn't been with Joseph, and Joseph had not been with her, and he knew it, and she's pregnant. So now Joseph is thinking, this is terrible, but he responds. He's ready to respond in grace. I think he responds to the same way James writes about in James chapter 1. Be quick to hear, slow to listen. I mean, slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear, quick to listen. Mary, I'm going to listen to your side of the story. I'm not going to make judgment against you. Ultimately, the angel comes and gives him even clarity to that. I love that he was prepared to respond graciously to her. But secondly, he was open to God's plans. This is big, folks. He was open to God's plans. Look at verse 20. After he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That is the plan of God. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet See, the virgin will become pregnant to give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph discovers that part of God's plan is for this birth to be the Messiah, who, again, will save his people from their sins. It's so significant, these names. He will, call, he will be called Emmanuel. He will be called Jesus. He will be called God with us. Children in many African countries are named with significant names like this. I read about a couple of names recently. One, one family, they, they had this supernatural understanding or, or superstitious understanding that they had this baby. Uh, the, their, their, their disease would be healed, and so they named their baby God Knows. Only God knows what's going to happen to that. Then I read about another family that that met this man, and his name was Enough. And he explained that his parents had, he was the 13th of 13 children, and his parents named him Enough. There's significance to the name, right? There's significance to this name, Jesus, Jehovah, is salvation. Emmanuel, God with us. Look at John chapter 1. We're not going to spend time in John chapter 1 today, but in the beginning was the word, the logos, the word, and in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his, made his dwelling among us. God in the flesh, God with us. Joseph is open to those plans. The writer of Proverbs said, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. That's where Joseph was. I'm sure Joseph had a plan. He's got this, this idea what his, what his world's going to look like, what his life with Mary is going to be like. What is carpenter shop's going to be all about? And man, his whole world is shaken and completely interrupted. The book of Jeremiah, we use this verse all the time. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare, not for disaster, plans to give you hope in the future. Sometimes we use that to encourage us, but you need to understand the context of that. The Jeremiah the prophet was saying to the, the people in Babylon that God's got a plan for them. Go ahead and settle in. You're going to be in captivity for 70 years. You're not going to be set free, but God's got some hope for you there. But you're going to have to stay there. Then he says to the people of God, God's going to bring judgment. So that's, that's good news, bad news. But you know what the bottom line is? God has a plan. And his plan is what's best for us. Joseph surrenders to that plan. We read Romans 8, 28, 29 all the time that God uses all things for those who... Well, I'm just going to go ahead and read it for you. okay? Romans 8, 28, 29. because I want to highlight something. For we we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. There's his plan again, right? God's working stuff out not for your purpose and your plan. God's working it out for his purpose and his plans. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There it is. Here's what God's plan is. God's plan is for us to be a part of his plan that he could make us more Christ-like. He says to Joseph, Joseph, my plan for you is for you to be a part of my plan because I'm going to save my people from their sins through the raising of this son that's going to be born to Mary. Open to the plan of God. The Bible says that Joseph responded in verse 25. He gave, she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Joseph saying, God, I submit to your plan. Thirdly, the third response of Joseph to this discovery is he trusted God completely. He trusted God completely. Totally. Verse 24 and 25 that I just read, that's Joseph's, that's Joseph's demonstration of his total reliance and trust in the plan and purpose of God. The writer of Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That's the key. That's the key. We learned a verse going through our experience in God study in Psalm, Psalm 27. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's what Joseph is saying. God, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in your name. Mary, what a story. Joseph. What a story. The birth of the Messiah announced by these angels. What a story. Jill Briscoe tells a story, I love this, of her son, David. He was very, very young. And his dad told him, David, on Monday, we're going to the doctor to get x-rays. Just so you know, be prepared. So that was Friday. They told David, Monday came around and David got in the car with Stuart, his dad, and Stuart looked over at David, and he was white as a sheet, just looked like he'd seen a ghost. And his dad says, son, what's the deal? Why are you so frightened? He said, of course I'm frightened, Dad. I know what an execution is. He said, what do you mean? He said, I, I know what's hap- going to happen to me today. Here's the amazing thing, that this little boy thought an x-ray meant execution. And what amazes me is he got in the car with his dad to go there that's trust in the in the father's plan isn't it that's trust in the father's plan i want us this christmas to respond like joseph and mary did to this news to this discovery let's pray together